Welcome to episode 278 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps thanking you for making us part of your week. Mindfulness is something that pretty much all of us have heard of and many of us want to practice. But sometimes just the idea of learning how to be more mindful seems daunting. Today's guests are experts in mindfulness and they're also good friends. That friendship and shared passion for mindfulness resulted in the book, A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection and the Sacred in Everyday Life. This week, Arya Campbell-Dinesh and Seth Gillahan are joining us to tell us how this book came about and how you can use it daily to start or reinforce your mindfulness practice. Seth and Arya, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting book that the two of you have written. And what's even more interesting is the way that it came about. And that was with you two sharing mindful messages with each other. So, Seth, to start, mm. can you talk about how the whole email and the sharing of messages began? Yes. Well, Ari and I knew that we wanted to write a book together. And we had decided that we wanted it to be a daily practice of finding ways of connecting to what's most important to us so we can really find that that sense of spiritual connection that's so often missing from our days, but but that each of us had experienced you know, so many times and sometimes together, and we suspected that it was something that we could deliberately foster. So the idea of writing all these entries, just sitting down and, and writing a bunch of invitations or or concepts for an entire year, you know, like, like a book is normally written a big chunk at a time, just didn't really seem like the way we wanted to approach it. And and so what seemed like a much more connected and organic way of doing it was to actually live the process ourselves and to make it an exchange in real time between each other. So thanks to the magic of email, we could make that happen in real time where I would write an entry, send it to Aria for the next day. He would get it that morning and then he would write one that day and send it to me and I would get it the following day. So that's how we decided to write it. We benefited a lot from it ourselves in the process and then we were really excited to edit it and share it with our readers. And the idea for the book stemmed from a very poignant moment that we both had, which was actually the weekend of my wedding. And the day after, Seth and I were walking with some of my family and my close friends. And as we were walking up this hill, I remember we stopped and, and we looked at the trees and the sun was, was breaking through. And we both shared this moment where we felt a true sense of deep contentment and satisfaction. And it seemed like everything that was important was so clear to us. It was about being present in the moment. It was having the people that we love around us. It was about feeling appreciative and grateful for the blessings that we have from our health to even the physical possessions that we have as well. But we knew that at some stage in the future, that potentially that this, this feeling would just be out of grasp and we might have that gnawing sense of discontent or just dissatisfaction and all the messages that society bombards us with about what's important in terms of prestige or power or money or career progression will kick into play and and will just not feel as grounded and we really wanted to find a way of helping one another just to 
as often as possible to reconnect on a daily basis to what's truly important to both of us. That is a really beautiful position that it came from. And I guess to then explain kind of what is the backstory of you two? Like, how did you know each other? How did you connect to know that this was a project that you would do together? Seth, do you want to address that first? Yes. Well, I, most readers don't know, know this, but I'm actually Aria's grandfather. Mm. <laughs> he's, uh, he looks remarkably young. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, there, there seems to be some time travel going on. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess, I guess I'm well preserved. No, this is, sorry, Aria, I probably should have told you in a different context. <laughs> <laughs> this just turned into a whole no, different was... show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and meet your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> so Aria was actually my student. I was a full-time faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania, and he was there visiting for a year. And he took my class called Anxiety and the Brain. He was a phenomenal student, best student I've ever had, and gave uh, remarkable presentations in, in the course. But more than that, he just had a certain presence about him, a real, I mean, a, a physical presence and just such a kindness, such a kind and warm spirit. So we had some conversations after class around the course material. And then when the course was over, uh, he was around for another semester. And so we really developed a friendship during that time and, and kept in touch. And, and I was very happy the day I got the invitation to his wedding. Well, Seth actually gave me an A plus and I've been repaying that debt ever since. <laughs> I, I was so glad you earned it, Aria, because it would have been, mm. otherwise it could have been awkward. awkward. Yeah. Because I liked you so much, but, you know, yeah. thankfully my, my affection for you and uh, your performance in the class were well aligned. <laughs> you know, often after the course has ended, we just walk and talk or go for, you know, we talked about going for that falafel wrap. And it would be the simple things. You'd just be sitting outside having this wrap and talking. But we often, it, the conversations often went back to the aspects of our lives that we often didn't talk about with other people as much. And that might be our spiritual belief or how we're, how we're struggling or different aspects of mindfulness. I was co-founding one of the first student-led mindfulness groups at Penn. And, and it was just so refreshing to have those moments where you could truly talk with someone about how you felt, but know that there was no sense of judgment and there was just a sense of compassion and understanding there. And I think a lot of the time we don't have conversations that perhaps we need to have. You know, we avoid having conversations with our wives or our husbands or our closest friends who we're drifting apart from, or even our children, or as we get older, our parents and, and how their relationship's changing. And I think more and more, if we can try and turn towards that and just open our hearts a little bit at times with people we trust, it just makes life so much more meaningful and, and just so much more valuable. So what in particular did you want the book to accomplish? Because I'm sure that you didn't just say, hey, let's write a book. It was, you, you probably had a very specific mindset of what, what you hoped this would do for people. Yeah, I, I think we hoped that it would help people to foster a, a spiritual connection. And, you know, spiritual, people define that in different ways, but I think we all have a sense of what that is, those, 
those times when our heart softens, when we drop our, our defenses, we don't feel the need to, to be so self-protective and to, to always be somewhat sarcastic or ironic. And we feel like we can be honest and direct and not shy about you know, sharing intimacy with the people around us. It's easy to let go of anger toward others. And so if, if we can uh, encourage people to, I think on a, on a daily basis, to practice things that, that foster that state of mind and, and state of heart, then I think that's lovely. And, and probably even more than that, if we can offer a set of tools or principles that a person can you know, build on and continue to use, I think that's all the better. Yeah, I, would, I wholeheartedly agree. I think from a personal point of view, one part of it was leveling the playing field, so to speak, because there's just so much within the fabric of our society about career progression and developing in an external way, you know, whether or not that's within professional titles or with finance or having a, a bigger house and going on better holidays. And there's nothing wrong with this. This is all things which I would love to be in a bigger house and go on more lavish holidays. But I think where we get trapped is whenever we think that whenever we reach that next stage, we'll then be happier. And we, we conflate material progression with inner progression. And I think we both wanted to really just change the conversation to how can I grow today as a person in terms of the values that I hold dear, whether or not that's truthfulness or honesty or love or being a good friend or a caring partner, but also valuing myself and knowing my boundaries and knowing, knowing who I am and what's important for me to feel loved and, and to be able to give love and just to create more of a conversation around that. And the side part of that is not just a conversation, but like Seth was saying, to provide practical tools so that you don't have to you don't read a page and then think, oh, that's lovely, but how do I apply it to my life? You have mm -hmm. something very concrete, which you can just try that day. And sometimes, you know, from the feedback we've heard from people, often it can, a passage might just resonate with what someone is going through that day. And the, you know, the invitation is something which is just something that they needed at that moment, which is always lovely. Did the messaging change like from when you first wrote it to now when it appears in print? Was there much, is this pretty much what you sent to each other or what was that process? I know when you write a book, you write your first draft and then it comes back redlined and, <laughs> and then you write the real book. So yeah. how much did it change? Because one thing that will strike people as they go through this is how heartfelt and, and just authentic this conversation is. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, if we'd published the manuscript as we'd written it initially, I think it would have been longer than the Bible. <laughs> so, so and, and, not, and not quite as good. <laughs> and, and definitely not as good. And so, and so in the beginning, when we're writing to one another, for some reason we hadn't anticipated on a single page that you, of, of a book that you buy, you might have 250 to 300 words. We were writing 1,400 to 1,500 words every day to one another. Oh my gosh. Um, so it was because there was often so much there. There was so much in terms of what you're experiencing. We're, we'd go into more detail about what we were experiencing, what we were going through. 
we'd reflect on the night before and how and how we'd utilize that tool that the other person has shared. And there was probably a lot more personal revelation in terms of what was being experienced. And so understandably, I have to say, I've, I think that editor did a wonderful job in encouraging us to, to take out the parts which were more about us, because then it also potentially opened, it's finding that balance where you don't want the journey to be about Seth and I, but we want to share enough that we're connecting with the reader. So we try to take out more of a lot of the personal parts we're taking taken out to make it a little bit more succinct, so it's one page per day. But what's really lovely is to hear hear what you were saying that you still you can still sense that friendship or still sense the the authenticity of our words because essentially it was what you read is what we wrote to one another mm-hmm. very yeah. very closely. Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad to hear that too, Paula, because yeah, we did cut it down tremendously. And, and that was, I mean, there were many conversations between Aria and me and us and Nick Albert, our editor, about, about that balance and you know, not wanting it to come across as this sort of you know, these, these two detached clinical psychologists who have these answers rather than as you know, two dear friends who are you know, living through this together and, mm. and learning. I mean, so... I know for myself, so many of the entries that I wrote were based on mistakes I had made that day and kind of smacking my forehead and being like, oh, right, there's <laughs> another way to do this. Maybe I can remember this mm. next time. So yes, I'm very glad that it sounds like it doesn't read that way. It doesn't read like uh, it comes from an ivory tower. One thing that is wonderful about the book is that it's you get a lot of mileage out of those 200 words. And it's something that it's so easy. It, it's not even five minutes of your morning to read that and change your state or set mm. your intention for the day. So, you know, so oftentimes with books, well, they're books. They take a while. It's going to, you know, you can't just wade through a, a book on mindfulness in like a short choppy sections but this it's it feels complete Mm. each page feels complete and it really is a wonderful journey that you can take every day without having to commit time that you already feel pressed for yeah hopefully it's also something like you're saying that you can you can follow the journey and i think that's lovely because you get a sense of of where we're going but then also if you if you don't read it for a few weeks you can pick up on any page and you instantly you're back in and it's actually, it's a practice which I think it was Marcus Aurelius or it was one of the other Stoke philosophers used to take just five minutes at the start of the day to reflect on what, what the day ahead might look like and how there might be aspects of the day that might trip them up and how could they prepare in advance in order to handle those situations with more wisdom and, and calmness and clarity. And it's so easy to just wake up for the alarm to go and for you to be straight into into the day unfolding for you whereas if you can just carve like you're saying paula even if it's just a couple of minutes to read that passage sometimes that can be enough just to shift your mindset into a different perspective and it's been so much to hear from individual people who are benefiting from the book mm. from book clubs and it's been really nice to hear from people that I know who have been using the book and I, I didn't realize it. One of my brothers told me that he and his wife read it each morning at breakfast. 
And a dear friend from uh, high school that I hadn't heard from in a long time uh, recently told me that he had been reading it, finding it helpful through a challenging period in his life. So it's if it had just been between Aria and me, I think it would have been an immensely beneficial exercise. And the fact that now it has this second life is really, is really wonderful. And is there anything that you included in this book that has serendipitously become more timely this year? Because one thing that I've seen a lot with this show, people have released some books or projects that they had, none of us had any idea that 2020 was going to be 2020. And it just so happens that they released something that was exactly what we needed right now. So is there anything in, that, mm. in the book that, that you see as being even more timely right now? Well, I remember reading a few entries during lockdown, and I know it's actually because a friend of mine had got in touch and said, it's remarkable how relevant this is today. And so I flicked to the page and read the entries that you sent over. And, and a lot of it was about expectations, about how life can often take a turn in a way that you just didn't expect. You didn't see it coming. It's not something that you wanted. You didn't ask for it. It's not something you created. It's completely outside of your control, but you're having to deal with it nonetheless. And I think that's something which the you know nations across the world are going through right now, where it often moves that great feeling of a lack of power or control. But then what can you control? And within the book, it's often going back to what we can begin to actually have more control over is our perspective, is how we frame a situation, whether or not we see it as something which is going to be fatal or something which actually there might be an opportunity within this obstacle to either grow as a person or to change something about my life that I actually wouldn't have found out otherwise. One of the good things about it's being such a, a difficult year, that year that you and I wrote it, Aria, you know, each of us had major stresses and and challenges and uh, heartbreaks that we went through so and that's you know i'm sure true of true of probably every year in some way and so mm. i think those uh, while the the details have changed i think having you know included our responses to those types of things the surprises the losses the uncertainty mm. i think that that's one of these you don't know it at the time but it turns out being very useful in the longer run. It's very true. These themes in our lives now, they've been echoed throughout history for the last millennia and millennia. Like it, it isn't it's the same things that we, that we grapple with. It's just in different forms or expressions. Yeah, I guess that's why sacred texts like the Bible have lasted so long is that they, they, address these enduring themes. And so you read it now, you're like, wow, like, this was written 2,500 years ago. And, and yet it, it feels like it applies to right now. Or you, know, you, you cited Marcus Aurelius and uh, mm-hmm. the same thing. I read the Stoics now. I'm like, wow, boy, the human condition really hasn't changed. It's just different technology. Exactly. So maybe, maybe we should have actually written our book to be longer than the Bible. <laughs> well you can always do you know, maybe we'll do a, maybe you do like an extended version yeah An, another mindful year and we'll just uh <laughs> do unabridged that's version. right yeah the writer's cut the more <laughs> mindful year there you go 
That's right, the mind flurry year. Brackets, oh. not that it's a competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as I said, like this is such a terrific book. And when I come back, I'm going to tell our listeners how they can find it and how they can learn more about it, how they can learn more about both of you. But before I let you go, I'd like to hear from each of you, like what you hope that each reader gets out of this, this book and this year of going through a mindful year. Aria, I'll start with you. I would hope that the book would help the reader to actually get in touch. And this might sound a little bit, I don't know, wishy-washy, but to really get in touch with who they are. I think it's so easy to get caught up in, like I mentioned before, the external aspects of our lives. But something I've learned is that life really is short and we, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know who will still be in our lives. We live as if life will continue as it is indefinitely and it's just not the case and often we you know we lose aspects of our lives or the people in our lives who we love dearest and we lose time which is so valuable and so if this book could just even on a day or two help you to connect with who you are and understand what's important to you and to take some action in line with your values or just to appreciate a relationship more or see with clarity how a relationship might not be serving you, help you think about what's the, what steps are important to take so that there's just less avoidance on the psychological and emotional and a spiritual level and just more opening where we're just willing with courage because it does take courage, but just to open more to this moment and to open our hearts more and our spirits more to to try and just experience the whole realm and expression of life. So not a big ask, but that's why I hope it does. <laughs> <laughs> On the surface. <laughs> Seth, how about you? <laughs> you know, this just shows Paula, Aria and I are so often on the same wavelength. So I was also going to say, I hope readers will be able to come more in in contact with that part of themselves that feels most true, that that version of ourselves that we know we are deep down, because when we're connected, I think to the to the truth of who we are, when we know who we are, I think the the world is a lot less terrifying, because there's a there's a trust there, a trust in the universe and a trust in ourselves. And if we trust that we can handle anything that comes at us in the moment, not all the future problems we worry about and all the what ifs, but, but knowing whatever arrives right now, I'll be able to deal with, then I think there's nothing left to terrify us. I love that. Seth, Aria, thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing this book. It really is a wonderful way to walk through the year. And the great, the great thing is you can pick it up at any point and it'll still be valid next year too. So thank you. That was Aria Campbell-Dinesh and Seth Gillihan, co-authors of A Mindful Year, 365 Ways to Find Connection and the Sacred in Everyday Life. If you'd like to learn more about Aria and Seth, their book, or what else you can learn from them, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. 
And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.